Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you. By the way, I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop, which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Xero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short-term shop. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the short-term show. We have a really interesting guest today, Tyann Marsink-Hammond, the queen of guest experience at Touch Day. And also, I think you might be the longest 
have the longest tenure as a short-term rental host of anyone that we've had on the show so far. I'm going to have to think about that a little harder. But anyway, Tyann has been had short-term rentals on VRBO for 15 years. So I'm really interested to hear about the difference from back then to what's available to us now as short-term rental owners. But hey, Tyann, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks so much, Avery. I really appreciate it and um, love, love being on the show. I thank you for the invite. Um, yeah, so I started 15 years ago. Um, it was a family affair. So my aunt and uncle actually started first and bought the largest vacation rental in the Branson area. I'm in Missouri. And it was four bedrooms and two baths. That was the largest available. Uh, and they moved all their personal furniture in. So very different, you know, over a decade ago than now where we all put in all brand new stuff. Uh, my parents decided, hey, that's a really great thing. So they started selling their commercial properties and they bought two five bedroom houses. So, you know, everybody's got to one up one another. Right. And so then we um, got I got in and did built a four bedroom. So when I built my four bedroom house, I was one of 12 houses that slept 14 or more people. So fast forward to today, you're looking at probably close to 500 houses that sleep 14 or more people. So massive amount of growth in the area um, started out purpose built and uh, decided, hey, we're going to have fun make a little bit of money. It's a higher risk investment at that time in our life because I was only uh, 27 years old and I had two littles just like you, Avery, and then a third one on the way. So set this house up with a little one on my hip and uh, it was a blast, but it, um, yeah, it rented so much we didn't get to stay. So two years later, we built another one <laughs> and uh, fast forward again and um, went through a divorce and then had some equity burning a hole in my pocket. So I bought a bank and this, yeah, I know <laughs> I bought a bank in Missouri wine country. So this bank, I rehabbed into a four bedroom vacation rental. Everybody looked at me like I had two heads. They said, who wants to come to a little tiny town of Marthasville, Missouri with 1100 people that got flooded out in 1993 in the great flood. And, and now it's fabulous. It's been on USA Today. Um, it's been in the news, lots of press over it. And it, the mo one of the good important things is, is it's really lit a fire into the community itself so that everybody's starting to rehab the downtown area. So it has ignited that, hey, let's take care of our town type of thing. And it's put Marthasville on the map. Um, there's lots of growth going on in Missouri wine country right now. And then after that, um, so we ended up with two boutique brands, vacation rentals. So I own four. Uh, and I, last year I sold my very first one that I had built. We now own a six bedroom and a 10 bedroom house. And we manage, uh, let's see, nine other places besides the bank in Marthasville where you can legally launder in the Ozarks. That's my little joke. But bam, and uh, we I are, am laughing. I'm muted. I <laughs> For people who think I'm letting her joke bomb, I am actually. Laughing. <laughs> and um, then we're going to double in size next year, just between our clients, and we're building more. And every summer, I say, I'm done. I'm not building anymore. I'm not rehabbing anymore. And then around Christmas, I text my loan officer, and I'm like, Kevin, I need another million dollars, please. So it's it's lots of fun. It is lots of fun. It sounds like you've had had fun with it. So what made you 15 years ago when there wasn't all this data and all these peers, you know, sharing and Facebook and other forum communities about their success with different properties and different sizes? 
what made you jump straight into a really big property? Because I know most people are like, let me dip my toe and try a two bedroom first. And if that goes well, then I'll go bigger. So what made you just skip that step? It's not actually a step, but what made you go straight, <laughs> straight to a big one and not do the dip your toe method? Well, one, um, we needed a place that would fit our family. So I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of six kids. And here my third kid was coming and we had bought it with the purpose of not just an investment that would pay for itself and that we could also use. So we weren't going into it as, hey, well, I'm going to make this a business. I'm going to make this, you know, my how I live because that, that's how I make my money now. This is my living. But back then it wasn't. And it was my my first husband, his his salary took care of us. So we, we did this as more of a lifestyle thing, but when we saw the numbers and I am a big person of seeing what is missing in an area, because like I said, with Martha'sville, there was zero, it was nothing. Everybody looked at me like I was crazy. So I love to look at places where there is a need and how can I fill that need? Well, in Branson at that time, it was the fact that there was not large places to go. The only places you could stay in Branson would be at the family resorts where you're still looking at one, two bedroom A-frames or little cabins, or you might do a hotel. And then there's tons and tons of condos. I mean, massive amount of one and two bedroom condos. So looking at what is the need, how are we going to, who, who's coming how are we going to serve them? And what was our family's need as well? And I look at the same way right now. We just took on um, a 10 bedroom house for a client, literally signed them this week. And we looked at it as how can you make your house differentiate from the rest? Well, going from 500 properties that are competition on Verbo, I brought his competition down to four. One of those is my, one of my houses, two of them is my parents' houses and one is the neighbors. So therefore it's like, yes, you will spend that extra $30,000 and your competition is now down to four versus 400. I think that's really important to differentiate yourself. And I also find it interesting. I didn't even know there was a Missouri wine country, but where I see a lot of people also have some fear is going into an area where there's not a lot of other people who are, there are short-term rentals already, but there's not a lot of people who are really optimizing. Like one of the markets that we're in is the Forgotten Coast, Florida, and there's not a ton of data and like other hosts you can ask about what their experience has been because there's just everything is on a local property manager and there's only two or three local property managers and they've been there forever and they're doing everything really, really old school. They're not optimizing. They're not properly utilizing technology. I see that as a huge opportunity for me as someone who does optimize, whereas a lot of people are like, oh, there's not anybody doing it like this yet. I don't I don't see a lot of data, so I don't really want to go there. So what drives you to go to a place that doesn't have a lot of that stuff and, and open one up? Yeah. So the Marthasville area that I first started in Union, which is next door, had zero vacation rentals, zero short-term rentals, nothing. And I had gotten the property in the divorce settlement. And then right after I found out that they were dealing drugs out of the house, I'm like, I, I will not own a drug house. I'm sorry. Um, Missouri is very good with their landlord laws. Um, it took me three days and with the sheriff's help and, you know, we moved the, the druggies out and then it took me over $10,000 to rehab this little tiny two bedroom house. And I thought, you know, let's take a chance. There are zero short-term rentals in the area. Um, I talked to the city and they're like, yeah, 
go for it. We know we need more beds because the only place to stay in town is a super eight that's been flooded two or three times. So yes, it's, it's a need. And then I looked at who is coming to the area. Um, we had the very first green industrial park. So I thought, okay, I'm going to target those business folks, the industrial folks, bringing in their CEOs, um, advisors, experts like that. But what I forgot and because the thing is, is when you look at an area, you need to look at more than what's immediately in the area. Look at the surrounding area. What is within easy driving distance of an activity? And what we have within 15 minutes is the Perina Farms and the Perina Event Center. You know the name Perina? Dogs, cats. Dog. Okay. Yep, yep. So nationally known, their event center where they hold dog shows is within 15 minutes. So by simply making our house dog friendly, we were booked up by these folks coming from all over the country to come to this event center and do the dog shows. Then I learned the dog shows schedule five years in advance. So it's, yeah. So people are booking two years, easily two years in advance. As soon as a dog club says, we're going to Perina, these are the dates I'm getting, you know, bookings and inquiries and phone calls saying, okay, are you guys available? What's going on? Um, can we bring dogs? The, the most number of dogs we've ever had on property is 13. So I know some people freak out about dogs, we're sure Baker's dozen and we actually charge half price dog fees for the show dogs because people are spending massive amounts of money. They're taking care of the dogs and we're like, yeah, you guys are our target guests for this area. Now, when that happened and then I saw the bank and Martha's is it's on the river. It's the long on the longest rails to trails. Um, biking, hiking trail in the country at 237 miles, the Katy Trail. So again, looking at why are people coming to this area? Are they needing a place to stay? How's the location? So I looked at, there's the Katy Trail. Um, there's wedding venues. The local town had done a study. Um, do they need another hotel? Yeah, they need another hotel. They need over a hundred more beds, but no hotel was ready to come invest in the area. So there is a lack of beds in the area. So then knowing the community, because this is where I grew up, I'm sixth generation to this area and our weddings here were minimum 200 people. Sometimes you're talking 400 people and there's not a lot of places for people to sleep. So you've got that within an hour's drive of a big city, which is St. Louis. Then you've got Missouri wine country. We're on the edge of that. And as you said, you've never heard of Missouri wine country. So this is my little trivia. If no one's heard me talk about it yet, if you've never met me, because everybody says, wait, wait, there's a Missouri wine country, but actually it's the very first designated wine country in the United States. Napa Valley was second. We were very first. Oh. Interesting. Well, okay. So now I have, I have a lot of questions. So, well, first of all, how many other short-term rentals are there in this Marthaville, Marthasville area since you started? Okay. Uh, so I, the bank came with a property next door. And so that's my one bedroom, a Katie house. And at that time, that was it. I was the only ones. Um, since then, um, I've encouraged neighbors to go ahead and open up. So last year, my friend, she renovated, um, well, completely rehabbed her migrant workers house. So they own the local orchard. 
Um, if you've ever heard of Happy Apples, it's one of the top um, caramel apple companies in the country. Um, her, their orchard and their location is right there. So her migrant workers come in into this house, but it's only used two months of the entire year. And I told her, I was like, Joette, we need more housing in the area because we are on the Katy Trail where the first um, night or the last night of people's trek across the trail. And my places are a higher price point. People want to pay less. So she completely renovated it. And it's now the Happy Apples bunkhouse. So that's really nice. And then this month, um, a friend of mine is also renovated and building two doors down. It's the old Marthasville hardware store that was built um, in the late 1800s. And he bought it a year and a half ago. And it's now the Marthasville outpost. And it has three rooms in it that he's able to give. Um, and he lets out um, direct or Airbnb, a Verbo, but for those bicyclists, for those people coming into a, to wine country. That is very cool. Uh, I really love that you're doing something different than what other people are doing. You know, you're going into a place that has none and and starting new, whereas other people, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of comfort in seeing a lot of data and hearing a lot of stories from other hosts, but that's really cool that you're kind of blazing a trail. Uh, yeah, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's it's one thing to, to have all these people go before you and all these numbers. And it's another thing, like you said, to blaze your trail, to get in where it starts and to create. I, I just love the creation part. That's, that's where I thrive. Well, that's a nice segue into let's talk about being the queen of guest experience at touch day. So for those listeners that we have that aren't familiar with touch day, what is that? So Touch Day is a digital guidebook. When, when I first started 15 years ago, we, I did the whole scrapbooking with the laminated pages and the stickers and saying, this is our Wi-Fi code. Um, this is our favorite restaurants. This is the route to get to Silver Dollar City without getting stuck in traffic. So your, your house manual, your welcome guide, all of that. And quickly learned that I was having to replace pages a lot. So information would change. A new restaurant would open up. Um, kids would smear their boogers across the pages. I mean, so many different things happened to a printed book. Um, and then right. when the digital versions came along, I was like, that's, that's what I need. Because I am also a remote host. Um, I live three and a half hours away from our Branson places. I live only 15, 20 minutes from our wine country places, but I treat them as remote as well. So I need things to be taken care of in a manner that my guests have an amazing experience and I've got them the right information at the right time and the right method. So Touch Day is that digital guidebook completely branded to you, your business, your guests see you. So the photos, the videos, the text, the text, um, copy the links, whatever you want to put in there. Um, and then this year they've also rolled out memo, which is a scheduled uh, messaging flow that's by text message, or you can do by email. So in that way, it has helped me to create this entire, it's truly choreographed communication flow. So at the point where I'm answering my guest questions before they even ask them, and it creates that bond and that experience um, before they even arrive at the house. And I'll get messages saying, oh my gosh, Tyann, we are so excited to come. We know we're going to have an amazing stay simply because your communication ahead of time has been so incredible. Awesome. And so it, it helps you, it helps you build that bond with your guests, but it 
also helps you in a way of like streamlining your processes because if you answer any possible question that they could have up front in your guidebook, then they're not going to ask you a hundred questions. So have you found that it helps you a lot that way? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it answers the questions before they even know they have them or before they ask them. And it's one of the reasons that I'm able to run. We've got um, 13 properties over two brands and we, my husband and I take care of most of the things. Um, and then once a guest arrives, our guest experience manager takes over. But because of the processes, especially with the digital guidebook, um, we're able to just set it and let it go and tweak as needed. And our guests feel like we're there 100% of the time with them. So are these difficult to set up? Like what's the, what's the setup time and effort level in setting up one of these? That's a really good question and one that I get a lot. So the main thing is how organized are you currently? So if you are very organized and you know how to copy and paste, you can totally set it up within two or three hours. And then after that, you just tweak and add as you go. I think I go in there every other week and be like, oh, I saw somebody else has this. So I'm going to add that or a new restaurant's opened up. So let's take five seconds and add that. If you are not organized, it's going to take you a little while. <laughs> um, we, I've had some people, you know, say, oh my gosh, I spent the entire day. But what happens is they also say they're very addicted to it because you see the changes immediately. And it's the same thing when you update a guidebook, it immediately goes out and saves to anyone who has access to it. So if you add a restaurant, your current guest, they will get the updated information and automatically all updates. It's not an app that you have to download. So it's, you're not having to ask your guests to refresh and redownload something. It's what's called a progressive web app. So that is just a link that you send to your guests, always accessible. Um, and if they save it to their home screen on their phone, then it acts and looks like a custom app that you created for them because that content downloads in the background on their phone and then it works offline. So really helpful when people are in the mountains or they're in a national park, off grid, that type of thing. Um, but your original question, how long does it take? It really depends how well organized person you are, um, but there is lots of help. We start you with a template. So there's no, you're not looking at a blank page at all. And you're actually looking at a written out content, um, a professionally written content to help you choose as well. So you really truly can be up and going in a couple hours, no problem. And I actually have a little anecdote to support why this is necessary that actually is about Branson. <laughs> So we were staying at the, well, I guess I shouldn't say their name on, um, on the air, but we were staying at a, an RV park right by Silver Dollar City. And there we passed the entrance to, and we were in a big 40 foot, 42 foot motorhome pulling a Jeep. So it's not easy to turn around. And we passed the entrance to it. And we're looking at our GPS and we're like, oh, we can turn here. It goes in a loop. So we can just make this loop. So we turn with our big rig and we get around one corner and it is straight down. And which is not, not good in a motorhome. Like this is not what you want to be straight down. It's fine in a Jeep, but not in a motorhome. And so we're like, okay, well, this is not ideal, but let's just get down here to this turnaround. And there were some, some turns that had to be made. And the GPS was not, it did not represent the, 
level of hairpinness that these turns were. So now we're in a 42 foot motorhome pulling a Jeep straight down and doing hairpin turns that we cannot like, we're like, this is never, we're, we're going to fall off the side of this mountain. And the worst part. So we get around the hairpins. Luke, Luke's driving. I don't drive the motorhome. I don't want to know how, because I don't want it to be an option for me to have to take a turn. So we get around, we think we're to the end. We're getting close to what looks like the turnaround on the GPS and the road ends. It's just like a dirt path, really not something that you can take a big rig down. And it has these gigantic potholes. You don't know if it's just five inches deep or if that hole goes all the way to the middle of the earth because it's full of water. So we're like, well, we can't go backwards. You cannot back up in this. And Luke goes, well, I guess we're going through it. And so he goes through the whole motorhome is shaking. The cabinets are opening up in the back and like snacks are falling out on our kids. And I like petrified. I'm like, oh my God, we're, this is going to be terrible. We're going to have to call somebody. They're going to have to helicopter us out of here. So anyway, we eventually figured it out. We made it out. We got back up, went into the RV park and I went in the store to check us in, told her what happened. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be back on, you know, flat ground. And she was like, yeah, that happens to everybody. So a, a everyone who was also in either as big or bigger of a rig than us. And had we had some kind of notification or a guidebook sent to us beforehand that says, hey, make sure you don't make this mistake. Everybody makes it. Make sure you turn here. Don't turn here. We could have avoided a lot of stress <laughs> and <laughs> panic attacks. And we... You know, I mean, it could have ended up a lot worse than it did. We could have actually gotten stuck. But my point is, it's really nice to have that sent to you beforehand so you can read all these things, know what to do and what not to do. So everything is smooth because that definitely I still have uh, some trauma that I'm working through from that because this is only like a month ago. Oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's important to be able to let people know what they're getting into beforehand. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Yes, absolutely. and and. Creating those expectations of your guests. I mean, one of the things that I don't do is I don't do toilet paper runs for my guests. So I set expectations ahead of time. I'm like, this is the toilet paper you'll have. And if you run out, make sure you pick some up at the grocery store. So setting the expectations, they will have to get their own toilet paper if they use everything we've provided. I 100% agree with that too. Like you have to let them know this is exactly what we provide. It's a starter kit. We call it a starter kit. And anything past that, you know, you're going to have to supplement with your own grocery store runs. And we've only ever had one person say, hey, can you bring us some more toilet paper? And we're like, uh, we're eight hours away. <laughs> but there's a store right around the corner. But we actually did have our cleaner drop some off because she was in the area. And we just, you know, you don't want to get a bad review if, if it's convenient. If it hadn't been convenient, we probably wouldn't have. But that kind of stuff is really important for people to know so that they know, oh, yeah, I need to grab this at the store when I get groceries at the beginning. So. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. You got to set that expectation. So how are you financing these properties and switching gears back to the, uh, your actual properties? Cause sure. you have so much experience. I want to talk about that and you know, what things were like back when you started versus now. So financing wise, what were you kind of looking at back then? So the first one was a second home loan. So it was an actual vacation home. And um, my husband at the time, he was a banker. So, you know, one, very conservative. And he had to make sure any any risks that we took, 
um, they had to be solid because his plan was to eventually run the bank to be the bank president. So he couldn't have any black marks at all on his, his record. Uh, so we looked it over, we did the numbers and we did a, just a second home vacation home. And then after that, and when it, when we built our second one, that's when we realized uh, the power of a commercial loan. So then we, and we also realized the power of equity. So using a, um, getting an equity line of credit, and um, that helped us to furnish these homes. So I have done, always done purpose-built vacation homes, except for the two in Marthasville, because those are historical properties. Uh, so what we did um, is we would take the equity, um, then we would get the commercial loan, and we sometimes use the equity for the 20% down payment. And so fast forward to the ones that I've done recently. So when I built my 10-bedroom house, uh, I did that without any cash. I did my six bedroom house that I just completed this year, no cash. And that is because I was, was patient. Um, I, like I said, I've been in this a long time, so this is not something that a new person can do, but you can start building this right now is looking at how much equity you have and have a relationship built with your local loan officer so that they understand what your business is. Um, you get your, what they call the rent roll sheets, even though it's a, that's a long-term rental term. And they still like, okay, Tyann, just average it out for us because this is what we're used to, even though you're doing short-term vacation rentals. It's like, okay, that's cool. So knowing your numbers of what you expect, what's going to happen. So with my 10 bedroom, um, I, I'm not a good landlord at all. Um, I, I got two long-term rentals, um, in the divorce settlement and I realized no, that's not for me. So I, I sold them and I took that money and I 1031 into a lot. And then I was able to also use my equity, um, to help pay for the furnishings. So by the time, so that, that, um, that 1031 of the lot got me the uh, lot at 20% down. And then I got a construction loan. So interest only use the equity to furnish it. So by the time it was actually finished building, the value of the property had gone way up. So then I said, okay, guys, I want a commercial appraisal. I don't want a standard residential appraisal. Give me a commercial appraisal. And now I want at that time I was able to say, I only want 60% mortgage on this. So when they gave me that 60% mortgage, what did that do? That paid off all of my line of credit on my equity. So that was all completely taken care of. So now I had more equity and a solid um, commercial loan, already had my 20% down, had a great rate. Uh, then it came time for the six bedroom. So I actually sold uh, my second house I'd ever done, my five bedroom. And again, 1031 that into two lots. Well, that was right when COVID started. And I thought, okay, I'm going to sell two houses. I'm going to build two houses. This is awesome. We're going to 1031 this. COVID hit, everything screeched to a halt as far as sale selling goes. No one wanted to buy anything. And my bank had said, you got to sell both houses before we'll give you that construction loan, even though you've bought these lots. So crap, my deadline ended. Oh, <laughs> yes. So what we did instead is we took those two lots and I 1031 those into a one better lot. And so I basically sold them, traded them back to the builder. Um, and then that restarted my 1031 clock, uh, which was incredible. Um, the thing with that one is even though the 1031 
you have to complete it within 180 days. What I learned was you have to complete the house enough to that value. So I was paid out. I had the 1031 gal pay everything out by April, but it was still another nine months before the house was completely finished. But I had met my, my deadlines and everything because the value of the property by then was at the original amount or higher. So that worked out really great. Um, and then, so by the time they finished that again, I had purchased things on my line of credit. Um, they finished the house again, asked for, I think this time I asked for 70% of the value. Uh, the value of the house had gone way up, um, paid off my line of credit and I've got cash in the bank for the next house as well. So it's just really kind of snowballs if you're patient. Totally does. And I, so this is funny that you mentioned this because I've had several investors reach out to me in the past, probably month and a half saying that, what do I do? I 1031 into pre-construction and now the construction timeline is pushed out because we're still not totally past all the COVID supply chain stuff. I've had probably, I would say at least three people in the past two months say, and now I'm going to miss my deadline. What do I do? And you've been able to, so I have, I have two points to make here. One, never 1031 into pre-construction because new construction never finishes on time. It's always going to get pushed back. And there's a really good chance that you might end up missing your deadline and have to pay those taxes. Now, what I like about your story is that that happened to you, you know, by no fault of your own, but you were able to be creative and figure out how to get around that obstacle. You didn't just like throw your hands up and say, well, I guess, guess I'm done here. You figured out a way to move forward and, and kind of recoup some of those costs by trading those two properties that you did have, even though you missed your deadline, you still had these properties, these lots that you could trade into one big lot and then 1031 again. And also that is a really, I've been able to, we actually had a client who was under contract with us on a new pre-construction and he was able to close on time to get meet that deadline, but the house wasn't quite finished. So not every single lender is going to allow that. But if you, especially if you have one of those local, like hyper local commercial banks, they'll typically be more flexible on that than if you're using like a big nationwide lender, they're probably going to have, you know, some overlays and some rules that don't allow that. So I really like your creativity and your ability to pivot and be flexible and adapt to the situation. So bravo to you. Thank you. And then, I mean, your accountant is also really key in this too, because your accountant has to understand what the 1031 rules are, what you can and can't do and how all the deadlines and numbers fall. So yeah, your 1031 mediator, your accountant and your loan officer, I mean, you've got to have them all in a big joint email thread and make sure everybody's on top of what's going on. Totally agree with that. Got to have that A team all together on one page. Well, we're coming to the end of the show and we have our final three questions that we ask every single guest. And the first one is what advice would you give 21? I did this yesterday too. It's supposed to be 20 year old and I keep saying 21. I'm just going to go with it next time I do that. What advice would you give 20 or 21 year old Tyann? Um, More like, Hey, life's going to be wild. It's going to have ups and downs. There's going to be gut punches. There's going to be adrenaline rushes that are going to be amazing. Uh, but through it all, hang tight to God because you will get through it. 
Great advice. And along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's getting started today in July 2022? The market's a little wacky, but there's still a lot of opportunity out there. What do you think? What would you tell someone? Build relationships. And many times it's not what you know, it's who you know. So get out there, join your chamber of commerce, network with folks, go to the county fairs, uh, do it all and get to know people. Also great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? It is The Five Love Languages. Knowing oh, good one. Knowing knowing how other people uh, receive love and or appreciation and how you do it as well, it makes a massive difference. I I totally agree with that too. All great advice, great answers. Well, Tyann, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if any of our uh, listeners want to get a hold of you or learn more, how can they do that? Yeah, so I am on all your favorite socials at Tyann Marsink. Um, you can also find me with Touch Day and then also my podcast, The Guest Cast. Um, and Andy and I do that, interviewing travelers and getting their stories on their experiences that really affected them. And then Andy and I talk about how we as hosts in the hospitality industry can apply those um, to our guests. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on, Tyann, and we'll catch you later. All right. Thank you, Avery. We'll see you.